1: Welcome to Sales Lead Dog. Today, I have joining me, Jason Mark Campbell. Jason, welcome to Sales Lead Dog. Christopher, it's a
0: pleasure to be here. Thanks for
1: having me. Awesome. Jason is the author of Selling with Love, Earn with Integrity and Expand Your Impact. He's also a speaker and he's on a mission to inspire small business owners um, that may be struggling a little bit with sales and and embracing their role in sales. Jason, let's just go ahead and jump right in. What drove you into writing the book? What was your, the seed of the idea for Selling With Love?
0: Yeah, uh, it's an interesting place to start because most people wouldn't assume that I would have love for sales uh, looking at what happened <laughs> for me in my early 20s. Uh, it wasn't the most beautiful of sales experiences, but sometimes it's through a negative experience that you get inspired to do something that uh, maybe changes that for others. Uh, right. Maybe it's part of the healing process, you could say. Um, yep. I mean, in my early 20s, you know, just trying to figure out what kind of career I wanted to get into, I found myself going to one of those uh, real estate investment seminars. And, uh, you know, I had starry eyes and promises of being a millionaire. So I got, I got excited. I didn't know any better. And uh, we got into a program where a gentleman walked us through some amazing properties in Florida yep. and uh, told us that we could put offers on all these properties, told us that the whole thing was very simple brought this guy along saying he was going to fund everything that we buy. And we were going to do some amazing stuff. And this was incredible. So we're all excited. All these promises are made. Everything's being laid out as very simple. And then we're put into a room to record a testimonial. And so obviously enthusiastic and excited. We're like, this is amazing. They, you know, they brought us the people with the money. They showed us the deals. They showed us how simple it is. This is amazing. You definitely want to do it. And once that testimonial was recorded, you know, that cousin became hard to reach. And then oh, yeah. we started digging a little more and realized that what we were taught was not the most uh, safe way of doing real estate. And we were told to flip these properties with, you know, a process where the titles would be dirty. Uh, and, and it was just do- doing cutting of corners to shave a bit of cost. Anyways, by speaking to other professionals in the field that were just like, Oh my God, I don't think they're teaching you the right things. We start realizing that the whole foundation of what we were taught wasn't right. Mm-hmm. Um, luckily, You know, I was able to surround myself with other individuals that I discovered through the journey. Wasn't a fun time, I'll tell you, but we wanted to make things right. So we found the right teams. We fixed everything we got started with. My God, I went ahead and found buyers and structured deals in ways we could close. We had half a million dollars of real estate under contract with no funding. So we were put in a situation where we had to figure things out. And, you know, luckily I knew a little bit about selling, but At the same time, I was like, nobody needs to go through this kind of pain just to be able to learn something. And I realized that sales is really powerful. You can really move people into action and it's not always done with integrity. And so, you know, I sent my blessings to this person, this team that, you know, sure, maybe they knew we could swim back, you know, maybe they are like, we'll throw them so deep in the ocean, they're going to be able to swim back. And, uh, you know, I don't speak to this person anymore. Uh, They wronged me. Did they have good or bad intentions? It doesn't matter. But the story I told myself is, let's see, maybe this was what I needed to be able to go out and write the book that I wrote, do the fixing of the deals that I did. And uh, the rest is history. So from that experience, I was kind of on a mission. And I I used a technical term here, Chris, which is uh, a world with douchebag marketers and salespeople doesn't need to happen. If I could teach ethical salespeople and ethical businesses the power, the beauty that, brings, that comes along with sales, yep. um, they can be empowered to really get attention, earn trust, so the world doesn't need to be manipulated into these shady practices. The yep. right businesses are going to stand out and shine.
1: Oh, yeah, without a doubt. And, you know, I think for people that aren't in sales, uh, especially when you're younger or whatever, and working, there is that notion that of negativity i think uh, around sales and uh, i i recently have several nephews that have graduated college recently and then they, they went into sales and i was so happy for them and you know when I, t- I told them like it, you know when i found out that they were interviewed i'm like i immediately called them like hey this you're on a great path get excited about this path because you have the opportunity to help people you know, this isn't about, hey, I'm just out there to make money and sell however the heck I can sell. You've got to be approach that from, you know, some totally aligned with selling with love, you know, that it's like your role in sales is okay to create a win-win, you know, and help people. And uh, so that that's awesome. So was it hard to write the book? I mean, I love the
0: process of writing the book for its difficulty, but also it's just, it forces you to think a lot. So Um, I think it was about a year and a half that it took me to put this book together. Um, For me, the editing was definitely something that takes a bit more time. But what was beautiful from the process of it is you get to put your ideas on paper and you start thinking, okay, how can I structure this in a way that really people can get the most amount of benefit? I'm so excited to hear about your nephews, you know, choosing to go into sales. Most people end up into sales thinking that's their plan B. But I think like you said, there's such a beauty in this industry that, you know, you have upward momentum, you know, income ceilings that are extremely high, Um, you get a lot more time freedom, I think the skill that you learn from doing it can be applied to every other field. And you know, when the internet came out, they were like, Yeah, we won't need salespeople as much anymore, everything will be on the internet. But now we're finding that the internet is overwhelming with information. So salespeople's main job description and activities has evolved to being educators, guides, coaches, like, All these terms are actually things that a salesperson needs to be good at doing. So in the book, I really get people to fall in love with doing sales because when you do so, you realize it opens doors in career as a sales individual. It opens doors in personal life. I mean, pretty much everything that you want in your life is at the other end of a sales exchange. And so I think when you realize that it is beautiful and you can do it, then people with good values are going to pick it up, not say, oh, it's this negative thing that these shady characters do. No, it's a beautiful thing that the right characters do. And there's no place for shade.
1: Right. What was the light bulb moment for you when you came up with selling for or selling with love?
0: It was interesting. I, I was invited for a public speaking session. Um, this was back in my career. I was working for a company called Mind Valley and uh, we did personal growth education. And I realized that as this company was promoting, the, the field of personal growth. So they were taking authors with incredible messages, which is, you know, whether in the space of mindfulness, uh, spirituality, health and fitness. And there was still a, a lot of young people in this organization. And what they were effectively doing is uh, selling these products and making people buy them. But there was such a negative relationship with sales. Like people were like, Oh my God, our company has so much emphasis on marketing and sales. You know, we're just trying to put these products in the hands of people. Why are we, why do we have an entire marketing team? Why are we doing all these events that, you know, make people go through funnels and, and it feels like we should just be focused on the tech and we should just be focused on the product. And although I don't deny those things are incredibly important, but we have to realize that the key is the sales to bring the money in to Pay the payroll for everybody that's at this company. You know that's right. And I, I was, I was mind blown. I was like, why do people have so much sales reluctance? And one of the fascinating things from this organization is we were kind of a little United Nations. Like we were based in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, and there were peoples from over, I believe it was forty two countries at the time working together in this office. And I've noticed particularly in Europe, Eastern Europe, even more, there was so much cultural resistance to sales. It was like, what's most important is you know get a degree that's what gets you your legitimacy and the sales. Yeah. That's what the shady people do. And they, they really had a dissociation between all the sales activities. And I, when I got to that event and I started speaking and my, everybody knew me as the the sales guy. And I was like, you know, I love selling. And so how can you actually sell with love? And the first time I did that talk, I talked about how selling is actually the greatest expression of love you can have. And it was about caring. And then I got on stage and shared this and everyone came to me. They're like, well, I've never heard anybody say sales in this lens. And you know, that's why I picked the title selling with love, people going like, wait, 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 what does love have to do with sales is like, when you genuinely care for the person that you're going to be serving and the the impact of what your sales going to make on the world, like, that's an act of love. And, you know, when I added the definition that I speak about in my book, that's kind of where I put everything together, which is selling is just an energy exchange between conscious beings. But when you know what you offer is so much more than what you ask in return, that's the emotion of love that balances the equation. And then you can have enthusiasm. Then you can go out and get those activities done knowing that it's coming from the heart.
1: Oh yeah, it's, you know, for me in my world, it's, you know, we, we do technology, but for us, it's like we're, we're out to transform the business of our clients you know, through what we do, we don't want to just sell them software or services, I want to transform their business, because I know through that, they're going to be so, so much better off than when we started with them. You know, their employees are going to be better off They're you know, the company's hopefully making a lot more money, having more employees they are employing more people, you know, they're having a very positive impact, not only on their world, but also on their customers, you know, so it's like this ripple effect that we're creating through sales.
0: That's exactly what I like speaking about. And in the case of software, it's amazing because there's so much leverage that exists. So when you go to an organization and you're like, listen, we put this CRM in place, because I believe the majority of what your software company does is CRMs. And God, I love CRMs. Like I love how amazingly developed this field had become and how much more efficiency has happened. Like I remember the painful days of CRM, which was- Oh, yeah, I lived through those. Yeah, exactly. It was like, oh, it's now double work. And as someone who hates repetitive, like wasteful work that add no value in the process. Now CRMs allow you to take every step that is a single step. It's organized. It works with everything else. Now it saves you time and it doesn't waste anything. So you go into a company and you get to do that. You get to transform them. Employees are happier. Revenue goes up. Everything you said. Why wouldn't you go out and sell? Why wouldn't you go oh, yeah. into knocking on doors saying, listen, this is really beautiful. And look at what happened to other companies we've done this for, we could bring this for you too.
1: That's right, that's right. And, and that ripple effect, it's all about creating that ripple effect, that impact, that uh, you know, if I'm truly aligned with and serving my customers, I know I'm helping their customers.
0: Yeah, well, that's actually the first love in the selling with love methodology is love the impact. Yeah. And that that was a that was another aha moment because um, yeah. as I was working with my editing team, I, I first had a different set of loves, and I had to break it down to make impact separate and first. Because one of the first loves before was actually about loving the actual product you're selling, right? right. Which there's facts to this, but it shouldn't be the first love. As I'm having these conversations, we've often seen maybe founder CEOs and product focused CEOs are so in love with the product, but then you completely ignore to understand the client needs, the impact it makes has to come first because the product can change. And whatever the market needs and the change that they're looking to have, does your product deliver on that? So you've seen so many product-focused people will build an amazing product. You're excited about the product and that's all right. But when you realize that its application and the difference it makes in people's lives is not the impact that is necessary for it to be sold, then you're gonna find there's a bit of a disconnect. So it starts with the impact it's Simon Sinek says, starts with why loving the impact of your sale is answered the ultimate question of why you sell. So why do you sell for the client? Why do you sell for the world? And why do you sell for yourself? So you can find that motivation to get up, to make those calls, to become the top sales dog, and then, you know, do the activities necessary, knowing that it is going to make a difference and a good one at that.
1: So if I'm a sales leader, and I've got a young sales team How do I help them through that process of identifying the whys?
0: Yeah. You know, I do the exercise, which is to answer those big questions. Like when you sit with a a team and what I usually do is I I walk them through a series of maps for each love and I say, well, actually I'll I'll rewind a bit and I'll mention that the first thing you got to do before you start stepping on the gas and putting more love into your sales process, you got to remove your foot from the brake and that's actually facing the fears. So the first thing I always do with the team when I work with them is, First, let's, let's put on paper, like what's the fears we have when we go and sell? Because any of those fears are going to hold you back. They're going to make you hesitate from picking up the phone. They're going to make you go, oh, you know, let me go grab a coffee first. And, uh, you know, let me make sure my desk is organized. And let me do let me do those social media posts. And like the real activity that you need to do around sales, you will hesitate if there's still little fears that are, are creeping up. So I usually get people to write down their fears, because if it's in your mind, it feels like a thousand. And if it's on a paper, it's probably three to six. And once you have those fears listed down, you start making a plan to to deal with them. It's like, oh, well, I fear like I, I don't have enough training or I don't know you know, how to speak the language for my product or for talking to clients enough. It's like, okay, could you mirror a senior sales representative within your team? Um, that could be a good plan. Can you do some more training? Can you watch some videos? So you start seeing, okay, this fear could be dealt with doing that. Or maybe it's just an acknowledgement that as a beginner, you got to be okay with that. No one's going to bite your head off, right? Um, once the fear is out of the way, if you go specific to impact, then I grab a map and I talk about impact for client. What's the difference make in a client's lives? Like, okay. In, in a case of a CRM, you're like, well, we make people more efficient. They have more organized uh, information. They waste the time of the people they reach out to less. They able to come with more uh, data focused uh, sales pitches based on their awareness. Uh, they get to click less. They get to be more excited about using the information. All right. Why is that even important? Why should they care? Well, they get more. They, you, you start drilling down with the why, and you're like, well, in essence, when you bring a CRM, such as um, what what your organization does, when we come into the company, you know, we allow people to have more freedom, more efficiency, more time, more sales, hitting quotas more often, getting commission bonuses, uh, and doing it with a lot more fun and a bigger smile. And if I go to a sales individual or, or, or an individual that's looking for a CRM, and you're like, listen. What I'm trying to do here is actually make everything organized and efficient. So your salespeople hit their quotas, make more sales, generate more profit and have more smiles doing it. People are like, all right, tell me more. So that's the first part. If I want to talk about the ripple effect, which I I see you acknowledge very strongly, which makes me really happy is thinking about the impact for the world. And I don't want to say world peace, like a proper beauty pageant. But what I will say is start thinking of those ripples, start thinking of those derivative impacts that happen. You're like, wow company hitting more quotas gets to survive, survive, thrive, hire more people, more people with their families with food on the table. And then you have these companies have these CRMs. These are good companies they're selling to. They're being more efficient as well. Well, you start evaluating every difference that happens across every board so that now when people are like, well, why do you even sell this? And you're like, I believe in the leverage that technology provides for people to really make the difference in the way that they sell. We have big problems in the world, and if we can empower the sales team to focus on the right activities that brings value across the world, now you can have more budget and resources towards your product development, towards everything else that's actually going to go directly towards making the world a better place. Now you start being more focused. And the last one is just telling people, you know, be selfish, and that's okay. What are the benefits you want? Do you want to make more money? Do you want to have more freedom, more time? being able to provide, save some money, those are all good things. And you can put those on paper and realize, wow, when I know the impact I make for the people that I sell to, for the, the ripple that happens from every one of those sales and I know why I show up, then you can start the morning, look at that and say, yeah, I'm at the right place. Let's make some calls.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. Because it is, it, it, it's funny, I, and it's not just in sales. I see this, you know, a lot of roles when, like as soon as people start getting out of their comfort zone, They start finding things to do to make them feel more comfortable, but they're really not getting anything done, you know, and and, uh, so I I love that you're starting with the fear, like right out of the gate, like what are those block, I call them blockers to execution, what are those things that are blocking you from executing against your goals, and you know, you got to know what those are, and you got to face them. Yeah what tips do you have for people around facing those fears, embracing those fears and, and deriving energy from that? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, there's an acknowledgement that we all have them. So <laughs> it's not like once you write them down, they disappear. They're going to still be there, but you can actually make a plan for each of those fears. And, and they usually come down to a few like standard ones that I see coming up, like lack of your own um, confidence in the sales process and lack of awareness of what are the key activities, what to say, am I doing the right thing, Um, being rejected is going to be one of the biggest fears. And that one, it's one that you just need to kind of uh, check, you have to just do it enough. Sales calls, so we need to have a bit of practice, but the fear of rejection, people won't like me, I'll be annoying. There's, there's a bit of healing that I speak more about in the book, because, you know, we have a lot of our background, whether it's, our first sales experiences and being like, oh my God, if salespeople, I, I perceive them as annoying. I don't want to be one of those people. And if that's the case, that's going to be the fear of rejection, but it could even go into earlier childhood. And as I mentioned, I, I worked in personal growth. So we talk about, okay, what are the early childhood memories we have around sales? Uh, children, right? Children, are they natural salespeople? Uh, and they're actually, no, they're, they're shameless salespeople and very <laughs> selfish ones too, right? So a child wants something, they think about their needs and they just keep repeating the offer. They're like, can I have it? Can I have it? Please, please, please. Yeah. So they're good at asking for the clothes, but they have no cares or understanding of the client. Right. And, you know, as a blessed, blessed a parent that, you know, at some point you got to say, hey, no means no, stop asking. Right. And, and, and that brings an interesting little trauma as a child. And we think about, oh, why is it so that salespeople have so much trouble following up? Well, right. if, if in your imprint, you realize that, hey, when no means no stop asking, and, and that's the memory that you have, then every follow up is like a, a very uh, triggering moment. So people prefer not to do it.
1: We all have those those experience of going into a store and being pounced on by a salesperson. Like, what can I help you with today? And, and you don't want nobody wants to be that person, right?
0: Yeah. And so we definitely need to find some better role models. And I think having podcasts such as this, you know, people can see, wow, sales is about caring. It's about leading. It's about taking responsibility. It's about loving. And as you start realizing that sales is very different of an energy than what we've been taught, then you can start to overcome some of those fears. You know, there there's other fears that are quite genuine fears, like, oh, I don't know if the product is really perfect for this person. Then a plan that you need to make is start having conversations with people that have had success with the product ask them why, see how their lives changed, get clear on that. And if you're a sales manager, this is something you really wanna bring in front of your team so that they can be reminded as to the difference they're gonna make every time they sell. And so all of these fears that usually come up, there's usually an action you can take. Can we improve the product? Can we remind ourselves of how amazing this product is? Do I understand the client enough? Do I need to have more conversations and have a bit more study as to who I'm serving? So when I get in a conversation with somebody and I say, listen, Chris, you know, if you're looking to bring in this CRM, we've noticed the types of people that have success, but we also know the people that usually struggle. So I'd love to ask you a few questions so that by the time I ask those, I'll know if this is something we should move forward or not. Because if not, I'll be very honest with you. Then people are like, ah, oh, guard can go down. And you realize you don't need to be fearful. We're human to human here. That's right. But I think we dehumanize ourselves in a sales process. And I think the beauty of what people have been craving the most now with technology being a great thing for accessing information, we still have been lacking that human connection. And God, isn't that a beautiful thing to know that there's a salesperson that's going to come over and they're going to listen to you? Like if they're a great salesperson, you're going to be a great listener. And that's one of the best gifts you can give somebody to light up their day. So I think that should take away some of the fear and make you more excited about making those calls.
1: Yep. Uh, what's a mistake I can make when it comes to embracing my, or engaging my fears and trying to overcome those?
0: Well, I'll say that one of the things I've noticed is the fear of being perceived as a negative salesperson can actually bring you to a level of emotion I talk about, which is the rational sabotage. And uh, I'll I'll play a role play that what that would look like saying, you know, if you feel like you don't want to be like one of those pushy salespeople, right? And so... I get in a conversation with you, Chris, I'll be like, hey, listen, I have this great CRM, I'm going to send you you some papers that you're going to be able to read everything about, and there's some comparative charts, and I'll make sure you have a proposal, but take your time, and whenever you're ready, you can definitely let me know, and we'd love to work with you, but, um, you know, I don't want to be pushy, but I'll give you a ton of information, and you can come up with a decision, and It's almost like a defense mechanism because we feel I don't want to be like those pushy salespeople. So I'm just going to give them all the data that they need so they can come up with a decision in the right way until you realize that you didn't understand your role as a salesperson. The person's not looking to make that decision. They're looking for guidance and leadership that someone is going to tell them this is the right decision and you should take it. And so the rational sabotage makes you feel like, oh, okay, look, I'm one of the good guys, one of the good girls that actually just did not push them, but rather you were afraid to take the responsibility of the sale. I often tell uh, tell the story of, you know, it's Friday night and you are with your partner and you go to them and, and they say, oh, I'm I'm hungry, and then you look at them and you're like, oh, uh, do you want do you want some do you, do you want to have some McDonald's? Do you want to have some Chinese food? Do you want to have some? Uh, Mexican food, did you want to go to a restaurant? Uh, Tell me what you want. And and we'll make it and they'll be like, I don't know, maybe. Uh, And, you know, we'll make the cultural meme and we'll laugh about it. But at the same time, this is the same as, you know, rational sabotages, you're just trying to dump information on the other person, because you want to be going to a point where if we go to the restaurant, they're like, Oh, I don't like it, you could be well, you chose it. And so you, you absolve yourself from that responsibility and that's not leadership and that's not selling with love. That's still coming from a fear response. So I suggest a different approach and maybe a different scenario that's more empowering, which is, you know, if you've paid attention to your partner and you've maybe heard them speak about an Italian restaurant a couple of weeks ago, and then Friday comes up and you give them a call and you say, listen, honey. 7 p.m. I made a reservation at that Italian restaurant you spoke about a couple of weeks ago. And I want you to take time to get ready, put on that fancy dress. I'll be ready and I'll pick you up at 7. We're going to go there. We're going to have a great evening and we're going to call it a date night. How does that sound? They'll be like, exciting leadership, caring, <laughs> understands me. This is amazing. A little bit of empathy in there. Exactly. Understanding. Yes. And so in sales, that's the same thing. If you go to a company and you start to say, like, oh, there's a ton of CRMs and you know, you know, like you understand the product, you understand the industry, listen to them, understand them, and you should be able to make a powerful recommendation by the end of it and guide them towards a decision that they're going to be excited about moving forward.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Nobody wants a brain dump. Like, it's like, that's not helping me because you, what you're doing is you're abdicating your role to where now I have to do all the, the work. And uh, so that, that's, you know, you nailed it. It's like when people, it's like... Our role, I think, is really is that guide, that, that servant leader, so to speak, in the sales role, and, and that we're here to, to guide you and help you and eliminate any obstacles that might be in your way to help you to a decision. Now, that decision may not go in my favor, but I'm still serving you in, in in getting you where you need to go. Just going through that, I think eventually, that stuff comes back to us in other ways. you know. And, and I've talked to many people that were like, hey, yeah, I, we did a heck of a job in the sales process. We didn't win the deal, but they came back to me because they had such a great experience with us. They came back to me three months later, six months later and said, hey, you know what? We didn't give you that one, but we'd love to give you this one. I've heard that so many times.
0: Yeah, we sometimes get to be a little impatient because of the quotas, right? Right. So sometimes the culture is something you have to really investigate. And it's not something I talk a lot about in my book, but it's something when I speak with you know sales professionals an organization, when you talk about toxic sales, it often stems from a toxic sales culture. Right. So how are the KPIs designed to embrace and reinforce the behaviors of your sales teams that aligns to the goals you have as an organization? Oh, monthly quotas. And it's like, okay, are you trying to squeeze every deal uh, as such or you're being negatively evaluated? And then what happens is you have a negative, maybe relationship with every prospect you've ever made because you're really trying to push them for a decision in 30 days. If your sales cycle isn't happening that quickly, then how are your metrics aligned to a way that you're opening up relationships and not trying to close sales all the time? Because if you imagine your average deal cycle closes is 60 days, and you're being evaluated on the 30, there's going to be a massive disconnect and you might be able to squeeze like, you know, maybe 5% of the people you reach out to are going to be ready to make a sale. If you're very aggressive and you try to make that quota, you could push that maybe to a 7% and then you're considered a good salesperson. But in the process of doing that, you've taken the 80% that were not yet and you might have alienated them. So it becomes very interesting when you look at it from a big picture. And that's why I didn't go too much into sales culture in this book, maybe the next one. One of the things I want to remind people for as an individual is just, again, when you're clear on the impact, you can start poking at the process and is like, is this a loving process? Does this make sense? Do I love the product? Do I love the client? The love has to be everywhere. And then you can show up fully as a salesperson.
1: Can we dive a little bit deeper into that? Because I know when I engage with a lot of sales teams and we're talking about CRM and I'll ask them about their sales process, nine times out of 10, when they describe it to me, it's their sales process of how they get, you know, how they sell to the customer. Rarely are they telling me what's the buyer's journey. Mm. And looking at their process from the perspective of their customers, can you talk about you know how they should be maybe uh, looking at their the process from the perspective of the customer and that impact on selling with love?
0: Yeah, so it's very interesting on the on the second love of sales is actually love the client. And the best way to show love for the client is to actually understand them. And I think we sometimes skip skim that part, and I think more conversations need to happen. So you can truly understand what the buyer has to go through what they're trying to do and how does that process look like from their side and it also comes from being more specific on who you serve and you know if you're in an organization that sells you know software and there are various different types of clients that are being served by that software it might be very interesting for you to be very specific on what is the type of buyer that you're going to be focused on in building your sales pipeline because a CRM for example it could be sold to an SME It could be sold to a multinational corporation, very different sales process. And if you give the same process to every single sales individual, depending on what it was optimized for, you'll see how useful or useless it's going to be for you based on that buyer's journey. So you have to get curious and you have to really be specific on who you want to serve. And if you want to go into campaigns and blitz, then you can pick a target market and see the similarities in the process and size of company. Probably in this case is going to be the most relevant metric. So once you have an understanding of them and what their journey is and who's involved in the process, then you can understand that as you design your sales process and the way that you're going to nurture the prospect into a point where they're ready to buy, you'll be able to make it so that it actually reflects who are the people that are going to be a part of that decision and have the right supporting material to make them make that decision. So, you know, again, if you're dealing, let's say with SMEs and you realize, well, the sales process is me contacting the CEO or the founder at that point. And just getting them to decide and they'll roll it out to their entire team. But then you have a sales process that says, oh, you know, get buy-in from decision makers and get this and that. And it's a very long process. And you're like, this isn't helping me. And you realize, well, it was designed for selling to, you know, a a company with thousands of employees and a dedicated procurement division. Now you're so disconnected from the realities of how you're operating, it makes you less efficient, it makes you speak weird languages, and it makes you have material that won't even serve the target market that you're working with. So I think there's some room that you should be playing with that speaks to who you serve specifically, and try to optimize your process so that they understand that every step of the way, it brings them closer to be more informed, more nurtured and ready to buy.
1: (sighs) As a sales leader, how can I do a self-assessment of myself and my organization, my sales team around, you know, are we selling with love?
0: Well, I actually have a survey that I make people complete. uh, And it's just, uh, you know, this is a resource I give in the book. But for anybody who's here on the podcast, if you actually go to sellingwithlove.com forward slash test, there's actually a series of questions you can ask yourself. But it really comes to the place of, Am I, uh, do I believe that salespeople uh, are amazing and do good in the world? Um, Am am I showing up as the best? Are my processes optimized the best they could be? Do I understand the client the best that I could? Do I, am I clear on the impact and the difference that I make? And so there's very much a series of questions. But the biggest thing, you know, looking at the five loves, rate yourself from one to five. If you want to have something really simple you can think about right now, is understand. Do, am I clear and do I understand the impact that every sales makes in a positive way? One to five. Do I understand the client and do I understand the needs that they have and the problems they have, who to find them, and am I specific on who they are? One to five. For the product, how much do I love the product? One to 10. If it's a 10, you might need to check yourself because there's always ways to improve the product. If it's a six or below, well, what are things that I could do to make the product better? But I'll say one caveat here, Chris. Is sometimes the product, if you're rating it low, don't always just go change the product thinking there's a problem here. Start to focus also on who are you making this product for and how perfect it is for them. Because if you go to somebody making $50,000 a year and you try to sell them a Ferrari or a Lamborghini, it's probably not a, a mis it's it's probably a mismatch between what they what would be a good value purchase for them. But if you go to a multimillionaire, this ends up being a drop in the bucket. Don't go and tell them they should go buy a Corolla. Right. So make sure the product you're rating it based on who are going to be the users and the companies and the benefits. And then finally, when you look at the process, this is a litmus test that I often suggest for people that have a sales process is by the time the sale is made and you'd go to a client and say, Hey, there's a lot of things that went into making the sales possible. I'd love to show you what are the different things that we've done in the process to make sure you go across the line and you make the buy and they agree to see it and you show them your process. What would be the feeling they would be left with? Imagine you're telling them, yeah, you know, at this point we made these promises in the contract because we know that's what you wanted. Now we don't do that, but we put it in the contract and we make you sign so we can collect your money and then we'll deal with it later. How would they feel about that? Right. Probably not so good. But if you tell them, listen, we we have these white papers that tell you more information about the market. We know that if we educate you and get you on a demo, you might get excited. And then they're like, okay, yeah, that sounds great. And yeah, I did like it. And here I am, I'm a client now. So that'll be an ultimate test for you to put together and check with your team saying, Hey, would we be proud to showcase our process to our clients? And that'll really put it into tangible and making sure that you're optimizing the right way.
1: creating trust and rapport and you know, it's like, Hey, there's, we're totally open here. We're not here to, you know, we truly want to partner with you and help you. Well, Jason, we're on our time here on sales lead dog. This has been a great discussion. I really appreciate you coming on the show people want to reach out and connect with you. Uh, they want to get the book. How do they do that?
0: Yeah. I mean, the book is Selling with Love. You can find it on all major uh, online retailers, particularly Amazon. Um, for myself, Jason Mark Campbell, the best place to connect with me. Of course, you sales leaders should be on LinkedIn. So hit me up on LinkedIn. Make sure you add the uh, connection note so you can tell me you heard of me on the Sales Lead Dog uh, podcast. And that way, I'll know exactly where you came from and I'll have some additional resources, including the assessment uh, and some great tools that you can use in your sales process.
1: Yeah. And we'll have that. If you did get all that, we'll have that in the show notes. So be sure you can get that on uh our site, uh, impellercrm.com forward slash sales lead dog. You'll get this episode, get the show notes as well as all our other episodes. So, Jason, thank you again for coming on sales lead dog and welcome to the pack.
0: <laughs> I love it. Thank you so much for having me, Chris. It was an absolute pleasure.
1: As we end this
0: discussion on Sales Lead Dog, be sure to subscribe to catch all our episodes. On social media, follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. Watch the videos on YouTube. And you can also find our episodes on our website at impellercrm.com forward slash sales lead dog. Sales Lead Dog is supported by Impeller CRM. Delivering objectively better CRM
1: for business. Guaranteed.